Welcome to the Second Generation Women podcast. I'm Van Anne, a second generation Vietnamese Australian on my journey away from being the busy primary school teacher into a slower, more present version of myself. This podcast is here to help you rediscover what it is you want and to begin letting go of cultural pressure from the outside world. Yes, you'll question your identity, your life decisions, and begin trusting yourself to fully live with intention and connection. I'm so excited to be your host and walk you through this journey. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the very first episode of my podcast. I'm currently sitting here in my PJs on a rainy day with a warm cup of tea. How else do we podcast? I have no idea. (laughs) Today, in this first episode, I'm talking about my story. So my experiences, my life lessons, and how I overcame them to get to where I am right now. So through this story, get to know me better and connect with my story. Now, I know this is going to be a super long story. I try to keep it simple and short and concise and all the other good words, but it's really hard to retell my life story without going into some detail. And I love watching long vlogs and having in the background while I clean or cook or do whatever else I want to do. So bear with me, it's going to be a long but good episode. So let's start from the very beginning. My parents met overseas and they had me in the Philippines, that's where I was born. And then I came to Australia when I was like three to four months. Now that's why in the trailer episode, I said that I was an in-between, first and second gen, because I wasn't born in Australia or any other Western country, like a lot of second gen immigrants are, but I'm, I wouldn't classify myself as first gen at all because my parents and I are so different. So my parents are Vietnamese and Chinese. I am like a quarter Chinese. <laughs> my dad is part Chinese and my mom is full Vietnamese. So with my parents, I speak Vietnamese with my mum, Chinese with my dad, and English with my siblings. So by Chinese, I speak Mandarin. I can understand a bit of Cantonese because my dad speaks a lot of Chinese dialects, but I don't speak Chinese that well. And even Vietnamese for that matter. I speak that like conversational Vietnamese. I am the eldest of three siblings. So I have a younger brother and a younger sister. They were both born here and have normal English names, unlike me. And I live in southwestern Sydney. Now, if you're not really familiar with the demographics of Sydney, Australia, then let me tell you that southwestern Sydney is where the majority of Vietnamese immigrants live. It's just how it happened many decades ago when our families moved over here. So I grew up in a very Vietnamese-centered community. There was a bit of Chinese as well, but mostly Viet. And that comes through in a lot of my experiences, like my education and the people I surrounded myself with. Now, that was a bit of a background of my family and how we came to Australia. So let's get into what I was like as a child. Now, I had to do some digging because I have a really bad memory and 
obviously this was such a long time ago as well. So before my siblings came, I was, from what I've gathered, I was probably more like a spoilt only child until my siblings came into the picture. So there is like a six to seven year gap between my siblings and I. So I lived like an only child for that long. And apparently I would cut my hair, cut the bed sheets, draw on the walls, chuck tantrums, not like me at all now. <laughs> and obviously I don't, I don't remember any of this at all. So I'm not sure if it was made up. Considering how tidy I am now, I don't think that was true, but mm, that's what my mum says. So <laughs> I even cried every time I went to childcare for like two months straight. So apparently I just did not like it there, <laughs> but I didn't want to go to school at all and leave my mum. I think, I think I was that kid who was never separated from my mum. So she did sewing while working from home and did the housework and things like that. So I never really had time away from her, except when I'm hanging out with my friends, my friends when I was like four years old. <laughs> and the time I stopped crying at childcare was when I had a friend with me. And I need to tell her about this actually, about this story. So apparently I cried every time I went to childcare. I destroyed things around the house. Another thing was that I was not the playful, welcoming, friendly child. It was hard for me to make friends when I was younger. And a story that my mum has is that I, every time we had guests over, and even when there were kids my age, I didn't really want to play with them. I sat on my parents' laps or hid in the bedrooms when they came over. I guess I was just really nervous and shy around other kids. So that was my childhood. <laughs> Let me know if you can relate. When I was younger, I also did a lot of things around the house. So I was helpful, but I also destroyed things. Maybe that was guilt. <laughs> I have no idea. I have photos of me actually washing the dishes at home and eating with chopsticks like at a family dinner, even though I was really young. But the things I did around the house was washing the dishes, sweeping the floor with a broom and dustpan. Yeah, we only had those big, bulky, noisy vacuums, which we didn't use unless we had to because we Asian and we saved electricity. <laughs> so I helped out a lot around the house were things that they trusted me with. And I was the responsible one. When my siblings came, I was asked to take care of them. And I don't understand why, considering I was such a troublemaker when I was younger. But I looked after them when my parents weren't home. Not sure if I'm supposed to be saying that. I also helped walk them to school if they went to school with me. Or I picked them up and helped them with their homework and stuff like that. Because I was the good girl after that. <laughs> Once school started, I was the good girl because I always did all my homework. I did exactly what the teacher told me to do. Didn't like getting in trouble. So from childhood, I helped around the house, took care of my siblings. And of course, I still do those things today, even when they're over 20 years old now. <laughs> That's the big sister part of me. So during my whole education, my parents worked, but 
obviously when they came to Australia, they didn't really have like high paying jobs or like white collar jobs. It was mostly blue collar, manual labor, being paid for the hour sort of thing. So they didn't have a qualification. They came to Australia hoping to make a living and start a new life and start fresh and all that. So they did things that didn't require qualification. So my parents did, did sewing. My dad, I'm not sure if he owned a grocer or he just worked there. I just remember him having to stack all the fruit and veggies. I have to check with him about that, actually. My mom also stacked products in, on the shelves for small businesses. And my dad is a removalist now. So hearing all that, you can tell that these jobs weren't the easiest and they required a lot of long hours and they had to learn the language as well to communicate with people. After working in these jobs, my parents were always exhausted and despite working all day, they continued to do things around the house and they came home. So I just have a really vivid memory of my dad coming home from work, I think from my removalist job, like the whole day. And after dinner, he just would sit down with a beer and watch TV, sit with a beer in his hand, watching TV, legs on the legs. How do I say that? <laughs> legs propped up on the chair in front of him, just relaxing. And of course, my mum, after having three kids, she did do some sewing as well at home with those huge sewing machines and the overlocker and things like that. And she stopped when my siblings started going to school, I think. So at school, as I told you before, I was the good girl. I did everything I was told. I always did my homework. I didn't date, even though I thought about boys, but I didn't, <laughs> never thought about having a boyfriend. I studied hard. I went to tutoring and I did pretty well at school. And the funny thing was my parents didn't exactly push me to get straight A's or to get like a certain mark. I knew that education was important to them. And on the weekends, of course, I also went to both Vietnamese and Chinese school and learned the language, even though I didn't really speak much Chinese when I was younger. My parents both speak Viet, so I just spoke in that language. It was easier to communicate to both of them. And my parents had this idea that the more languages I knew or the more languages that I know, then the better opportunities I would have for my career. And they still think that today, which is why I do want to learn the language just to connect with my culture better, but also to help connect with other cultures and families, which has been quite helpful in teaching, actually. And all of my reports at school said that I was quiet and conscientious. Those are the two words that always came up, even though I had no idea what conscientious meant. And of course, my parents definitely didn't. They didn't even read my reports because they didn't understand it. And they always asked me to translate notes and things like that. But the important thing to them was the grade and the rank because numbers are universally understood. But they just saw that as long as I was doing well, that was fine with them. So in primary school, I always did my homework. I played netball for PWSA, which if you don't know what that is, I have no idea what that stands for actually. But we just played sport every Friday afternoon and versed schools around the area. 
I learned Vietnamese. I was also part of the dance group. And the biggest thing in primary school was going to a selective school for high school. So in year six, you sit this test, which was a huge deal. And depending on your scores, you either get into a selective school or you don't. And after tutoring for a couple of years and I didn't make it to selective school, I was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just go to my local school. But back then, going to a selective school meant that you were smarter than everybody else, that that you were part of some exclusive group. And obviously I wasn't part of that. So I just went to my local high school. And I think that reinforced the idea that I need to do really well in school to get somewhere in life. And that dragged on for so long. Can't I can't tell you how long that went on for. In high school, I felt like I was more quiet than in primary school. Like I had a group of friends, but we weren't the loud group at all. We were definitely not popular. And all the popular kids used to hang out, like the basketball courts or whatever. We were more the quiet, studious, academic type. Friendships were a lot harder in high school. Like I just kind of stuck to the same group, even if we weren't really compatible. Now looking back, I can say that. But at the time I was like, oh, I have friends. I just hang out with these people every day. And friendships was still a struggle for me throughout the rest of high school. So that was probably part of the reason why I studied so hard. And before high school started, everyone was telling me, like all my family friends who were older would always tell me how much harder high school was. That I need to get ready, I need to prepare, I need to do so much more homework. So I just put my head down and worked really hard. The funny thing was that I actually enjoyed doing homework. I would go home, turn on my computer, wait like 20 minutes for everything to load because it was super slow and we were capped at like two gigs of internet (laughs) back in the day. Wow. And then I'll do my homework until like dinner time. And then I'll start. And then after that, I'll just watch TV (laughs) for the rest of the night. So high school didn't feel that intense, but maybe because I just enjoyed doing homework, which is so strange to say, but I think it was kind of therapeutic for me because I listened to what was taught in class and I actually understood everything. It felt like it wasn't easy, but it definitely didn't feel like a struggle to learn all that content in high school. And in year 10, that was when we were thinking about career. That was information overload. I felt pressured starting way back in year six, but or even before that actually, training for selective, probably like year four, year five. But in year 10, that was more serious. Like I had to choose subjects for my uni course and they were talking about prerequisites. And I was like, what the heck is that? But I had to think about what I actually wanted to do first, which I had no clue about. And I still didn't for a very long time. And I remember receiving this thick book. You can't see my hands right now, but um, it was quite hefty. Like, I don't know how, it was A4, probably about like seven centimeters thick. I have no idea. I could be making it up. I flipped through the whole thing, like multiple times, every single page, reading every description, thinking, could this be it? And I literally narrowed it down to a few ideas that I didn't mind. Like it wasn't, nothing stood out to me. Nothing jumped out saying, this is what I want to do. 
it was kind of like, yeah, I don't mind. There are a few things that I thought, okay, I could do that for a bit of time or I could do that for the rest of my life. So I really felt pressured to narrow things down, to pick something already because everyone asks, like around that age, everyone asks you what you want to do in uni and you're like, ah, I don't know. But I definitely decided on a few things and my top two were teaching or health science. And even within health science, I was like, um, I don't know what I want to do within that. But there was this strong pressure to pick one career and get it right. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. Like that was, that was a hard decision. And back then I chose my year 10 subjects thinking that I wanted to do optometry. And it's funny because I went to the optometrist today, but I can't think of myself doing that now. And science is just not my thing at all. Like basic science, sure, love it. If it goes in depth in physics and chem, no, nah. (laughs) So I stuck with those subjects. I literally chose a lot of sciences for optom. Yeah, literally physics and chem. And it was so hard for me. So year 11 came and I was just sticking out those subjects. Year 12 came and that was when things got serious, like way more serious than year 10. Because obviously you put down your uni courses and then like your six options or so. And majority of the things I put were education. And my parents weren't particularly happy with that news about me becoming a teacher because teachers pay is not that great. So if they're looking towards this secure future where I'm financially stable, I guess it's stable, but it's not very high pay. The only thing they were impressed about was the fact that I would get school holidays. There was a lot of pressure to get into uni. And obviously being the first child to go through uni and really a lot of my family's overseas. So I'm like the first, one of the first to go to uni and get a degree and start this life. And I was really worried about not making it into uni because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm studying so hard, but what if... In the test, I totally flunk it and I just, I'll just rule my whole life. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it to uni. Everything that I chose wouldn't be offered to me. I might just go to TAFE and I don't know. But, you know, I had this, I had this negative idea about TAFE and other pathways because I thought, not uni is the way we have to do that. Parents are talking about it. My parents' friends are talking about it. So uni was the only option. That's honestly what I thought because all the people that I talked to at school and majority of the populations in my school, high school and primary were from immigrant families as well. So we all were worried about the same things about going to uni. And that was just what was on our minds at the time. So fast forward, I actually made it to uni. I got my first offer at a pretty well-known prestigious uni and I went there for four years. And guess what kind of uni student I was? the same as I was in high school. So I went to uni, attended all my classes, partially because I had to. They took attendance, like you had to have 90% attendance for all your classes. And then I went home. So I literally traveled one hour each way there and back just to go to my classes and then go home. Like people talk about social life and freedom and all that. Yeah, I didn't take advantage of that. I did all my readings. I aimed for HDs. A lot of people in uni said, please get degrees. And I was like, 
nah, I want HDs. See, that was the mentality that I had. I just, I definitely didn't have the P's get degrees mentality. I went to the library during my long breaks between my classes to get more work done. And I did spend time with friends, but they had different classes to me. So sometimes we were together, sometimes we weren't. But usually I just sat by myself in the library, did my readings and did my assignments. I also even did work on the train sometimes, but actually now thinking about it, I mostly napped on the trains. (laughs) I just can't help it. Trains and buses and anything moving just rocks me to sleep. So at uni, I didn't really have a social life. I only made friends from my classes. I tried to, not I tried to, I joined the the triathlon club, but who was I kidding? I never attended any meetings or training and I'm definitely, definitely not an athlete, but the meetings were after hours. So I never went to any meetings for the club. Let's just say I didn't make the most of my uni life. I saw it just as a way to get to my career. So I did make a few new friends here and there, but no one that I hung out with every single day or talked to so much. We mostly just talked about uni work, to be honest. Yeah, I sound like a pretty boring person right now. (laughs) So moving on to work. So after four years of uni, I got my degree and I went straight into teaching. To become a primary school teacher or to be any teacher, really, you have to get work experience. They provide practical experience for you for a set amount of time where you go in the classrooms and begin teaching. So towards the end of my fourth year, I was interning at a school and that was, I think, like a term, like 10 weeks. And by the end of that school year, they gave me the opportunity to start working full time there for the next year. So of course, being the hard worker that I was, wanting to get into my career straight away, I took that chance. And I was, in that moment, I was so grateful. I remember I was on playground duty with my supervising teacher and she told me what the principal had asked her. The principal had asked her if she had known my plans for next year. So she didn't know. We hadn't talked about that. But she asked me while on playground duty because I had to follow her around and just do whatever she's doing, shadow her basically. And in that moment, I was just so grateful and I felt confident in my teaching abilities. Like, wow, my, my skills were acknowledged that I didn't have to work as a casual teacher look at me now working as a casual teacher, but I didn't have to become a casual teacher working at a whole whole bunch of different schools, figuring out what I wanted to do. And here was the chance that I had just at the school that I was already familiar with and doing what I wanted to do. So it was perfect. There was one night actually that just came to my mind just now. It wasn't even in my notes that I just couldn't sleep. So I slept for a few hours or so And I woke up at around 3 a.m. and I couldn't sleep. So I was just on my phone for a bit. I checked my emails and one of the deputy principals had emailed me like super late. I don't know what she was doing up that late or that early. She She emailed me asking for some paperwork for my new job. And I was like, wow, this was meant to be because 
I was awake at the time that she sent the email, which was so surprising because I never would have done that. So fast forward a little bit, I worked in a whole bunch of different roles at the school and I was so proud to have experience in so many different areas. I thought it was a great way to establish myself as a teacher, get experience, gain exposure to different groups of students and that it would be good for my future when applying at new schools because obviously I knew I wasn't going to be working at one school forever. And I'm guessing you have an idea what kind of teacher I was or what kind of teacher I am. Nah, actually was because I'm not the same as I was many, many years ago. So some of these things probably remain true and are still how I see teaching right now. Like I love working with kids and seeing their growth in such a short period of time. And uh, I'm caring towards the kids. Like I actually genuinely care for them, not as their friend, but as their teacher. So a bit of tough love. And I teach them not only content knowledge, but also life skills. So I really loved all that about them. You got to really see a child across so many different areas of schooling and socially and emotionally. And that's what I still love about teaching now. So I'm guessing, you know, I was a super organized teacher. I planned ahead, not only for work, but for everything in life. But we're talking about teaching here. And this was where I struggled a lot. I hated coming into school without knowing what I was doing. I can't like wing it. I'm not really a spontaneous kind of person. And with my experience at previous schools, when teachers just wung it, is that the word? (laughs) Winged it? When teachers winged it, they struggled to manage like students' behavior because some of the students were really tough. So they mucked up and then teachers would have a bad time. So I kind of saw that. And I started planning even more. So I overplanned everything. As long as the lesson plan was in my head, I was fine. But it wasn't like writing the lesson plan super in-depth or anything. It was more like planning my whole week, knowing which lessons I had to teach, preparing all the resources ahead of time, like print. I would print like at least two days ahead. And I'll definitely look ahead in my calendar and account for any events or disruptions during that week. Because in primary school, it's so fun. We do so many different things. I'm in high school too. But the first few years of teaching, I came in super early. Like I would get to school at 7.30 and I love coming to school early. But the thing was, I didn't just pick one time to work extra, like the morning or the afternoon. I would stay back as well. I would come in early and stay back. And then I worked extra at home. So at first I thought, oh, this is just because I'm a new teacher. I just need to get my head around everything. And then once I gain gain experience, I'll be fine. And during that time, I was just so exhausted. I worked, I tried to spend time with my family and friends and it kind of backfired because I didn't have much time for myself. So each night I slept as soon as my head hit the pillow, which was perfect because that felt like, wow, I did so much. And my body's just so tired. And then everything would just repeat the next day. So every day, every week, every month, everything would be the same. Like I would work, come home, work a bit more, spend some time with family and friends, but everything was kind of the same until the school holidays came. And that was the only time that I had to myself, but not really, because when you're a teacher, life doesn't stop. (laughs) Work doesn't stop. You just keep going. I forgot to mention that During the time that I was working full-time at the school, I was also tutoring on the side as well. So to support in my career, I was also doing extra hours as 
a tutor at a center. So I was doing mostly English help. Actually, no, it was teaching English classes and also homework help. So I did a lot of that. And in total, I was probably a certified pop Pilates instructor. Now, this was right before COVID. So I saw a special deal to become certified. And I had been looking into it for a while. And I finally did it because it was a sale. And I was like, why not? I love Pilates. I love working out. And I want to work out with my friends. So I became certified right before COVID, like literally in Feb, before COVID came to Australia in March. And I was like really nervous to put myself out there. And this was the very beginning of like trying something different and putting myself out there on social media. So I didn't teach for several months after I was certified. But one day I decided just to go for it. I put myself out there on Facebook, let my family and friends know. And then I started teaching virtual classes and I made a Facebook page and everything. Not a Facebook page, Facebook group. And I showed everyone what I was up to. I posted on there like weekly or multiple times a week. I just loved it. I I just loved it. I wanted a slower way to exercise besides from the gym because at that point I was going to the gym like four times a week. I had a PT at the beginning and then I went consistently by myself, but I just wanted something slower, something different from the gym. And this was perfect because I could teach Pilates. I could work out as well as chatting to friends. So this was a great way for me to connect with my friends during COVID. So after being certified, I was obviously still teaching. I was teaching for several years after that. Actually, let me bring it back a little bit because a few months after I was certified as a Pilates instructor, I found out that my mum had breast cancer. And this was a huge shock and it freaked me out. I was like super panicky and I didn't know anything about it. And that was one of the first times that I had seen my mom cry in a really, really long time. Like, I don't know about your parents, but my parents don't really show much emotion. And so seeing my mom cry, I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? We just kind of like hugged and cried about it. And that was one of the pivotal moments in my life that made me question everything. Like that, along with like obviously being a Pilates instructor and then COVID and then finding out my mom had cancer, like all those things came at pretty much the same time. And that was like my quarter life crisis, I guess you could say. Like I was around what, like 25 years old. Yeah, pretty much my quarter life crisis. And I tried to kind of push it down. And of course I was super scared because of COVID. That was like a huge thing. It was so new. And I didn't want my mom to catch COVID, especially after, you know, going to doctor's appointments and everything. But I went to work as usual and I really used work as a distraction. It was kind of like I had ex- I had enough experience of teaching and my class was really good. I had a kindy class at the time and I really used work as a distraction until we went into lockdown. And then I really remember this one day as well. I went into work and it was in the morning, I think, and I completely broke down. Some teachers on my team were asking me about it and I completely just like all these tears started coming out. I couldn't breathe. And like that was the first time I was processing it all as well. So I was just so uncertain about the future. I had to keep working. I had to take my mum to doctor's appointments and translate for her. (laughs) Not much has changed there. I drove her to the hospital for tests and to meet with the doctors And I helped her throughout her chemo treatments too. 
So here I was trying to fully plan out my days for teaching and work towards this stable and secure future, but I was feeling so uncertain in the present. Everything just turned upside down, basically. So it's a few years later now, and I'm so glad she's recovering and she's pretty much almost back to normal. She's just really tired, but that moment, I remember it so clearly. It just pretty much my heart like broke at that time because I was just so worried for her and so uncertain about how everything was going to turn out. So from all that, I knew I wanted a change, but that was a huge change that came so unexpectedly. So after that crazy year, after finding out my mum had breast cancer, I decided to move schools too. And after working somewhere for five years, I thought that was a good amount of time to have worked there. And I wanted to have a change of scenery. So I had to speak to my principal about wanting to move schools, which is always daunting, talking about leaving a workplace and why. It wasn't really about the school, kind of, but not really. It was mostly about me, I think. So I applied for a whole bunch of different schools, mostly local, because I think I wanted a school closer to home. Even though my previous school wasn't that far from me anyway, I just wanted something different, like complete change. and. I applied for a whole bunch of different schools, didn't get anything. Eventually, I went for an interview and found out the same day that I got the job. So during that time, I got the phone call to say I got the job during my RFF. So I was hanging things up on the wall, changing out my displays and just putting new work up. And I got a phone call from the principal. And that's when happy tears came out. And I just couldn't wait for this new future. I was like, wow, a whole new change. Everything's going to be different. Life is starting to get better again. So I started working at this new school, closer to home, completely different demographics. And a few months after I started working here, I learned about life coaching. I found out, I think from YouTube, like one of the people I subscribed to was a health coach. And she talked about like life coaching and things like that. And after a month of hearing about that, I went deep down a rabbit hole of life coaching. I looked at everything. I watched all these videos about it. I was just so intrigued by this new thing that I had never heard of before. And after that month, I found this life coaching certification program. And I did my full research about it as well, but my heart was already set on it. So I decided to invest over six K, $6,000 into this program. And that was half price. Like I have no idea how someone could pay 13K for a program like that. Even 6K was so much to me. So of course I looked into the course and decided, yep, all right, I'm gonna go for it. Which took a lot of courage, took so much confidence, self-confidence from me to be able to do that. And I literally couldn't even pay for the whole thing. Like I didn't even have that much money in my bank. I had to ask Raymond to help me pay for it and I'll just pay him back because we were already living together, but I still felt bad about spending his money. So I borrowed his money and slowly paid him back. Like $6,000. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. A few months later, I found out that he had just spent a big chunk of money on an engagement ring. And I can't believe that he was hiding it so well from me. He has such a strong poker face, but he was so encouraging. So it was another reason why I went for it. But what I saw in this course, in this program was 
the potential life I could have in the future. And I was thinking, since it was a lifetime program, I'll just take my time and do it sometime in the future, as long as I have it now. I'll just take a look in the videos and things like that, and then do the certification later. But then little did I know, I'll be doing it now. (laughs) After paying for the certification, I literally decided in a few weeks after that, I literally decided that next year is going to be my year. I'm going to become a casual teacher and try to make this thing work. So by the end of that year, I decided to become a casual teacher. So I let go of that stability, having money come in my bank every two weeks and having the security of a full-time job. And now I embrace the flexibility, something I'm still working on, the flexibility of casual teaching so that I could invest more time into this new adventure. And even just starting it as a part-time life coach for like the last five months, I've come so far. I have a podcast now. If you had told me I would have a podcast like six months ago, I'll be like, yeah, right. I'm not going to be having a podcast. And posting on social media consistently. Whoa, that is going from like the child who sat on my parents' lap when guests came over to now putting myself out there, sharing my story and connecting with people on Instagram. Wow. It's just, I have grown so much as a person. Like even if this whole thing doesn't work out, which fingers crossed it does, (laughs) but if this whole thing doesn't work out, at least I've grown in so many ways. So even just telling my story now, I'm thinking, whoa, yeah, I need to celebrate these. I need to celebrate my growth. Like I was that shy, quiet workaholic. Who would have known that I'd now be working less, not the 60 hours a week that I used to work, changing careers and sharing my story and being vulnerable on the internet. So if you resonate with my story at all, I hope that helped to normalize your experiences so that you feel seen and heard and that your struggles are only temporary, that everything does really happen for a reason. If I hadn't received all that news and the feeling of needing to change, then I wouldn't be where I am now. Just know that I'm always here for you if you need support with this at all. My DMs are always open and I'm always happy to help. Remember that you're a human being, not a human doing. Chat to you in the next episode. I'd love it if you could take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. So go into your Apple Podcast app, find the Second Generation Women podcast and leave a review. And to show my appreciation, I'll send you a free self-reflection scoring tool when you leave a review and send the screenshot to my Instagram DMs. I'll chat to you in the next episode.